that's what will lead you to your productivity. How does well-being affect productivity and cognitive capacity? Like, why should people even care? What's most important about well-being is that you feel that you have the energy and the resources to do whatever you need to do. The easiest way to think about well-being is what does the absence of well-being look like? Is it an organization's responsibility to protect people's wellness, to create opportunities for well-being? Hi, my name is Eileen Schaefer. Welcome to What's Possible, a show for high performers who want to take their leadership, well-being, and overall life satisfaction to the next level. Today, we're talking about well-being and its direct impact on your success. Our current world has us floating around in uncertain waters, layoffs, acquisitions, budget cuts, ugh, you name it. Chances are you are experiencing at least one of these. Floating in these waters for too long really takes a toll on us. If you're exhausted, depleted, disengaged, you are not alone. Okay, spoiler alert, your well-being is your superpower in these moments. With this in mind, I've brought in an expert and best-selling author in the area of leadership and well-being to help us answer these two questions. One, how does your well-being affect your productivity and cognitive capacity? And number two, what proactive steps can you take to boost your well-being and turn your ability to lead from a position of strength, even in storming waters? This is why I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Senya Maiman to our show. Senya is the founder of Silicon Valley Change Executive Coaching. She is co-author of the best-selling book, Profit from the Positive. She has her doctorate in organizational behavior from Stanford University and a master's in positive psychology from UPenn. I think you'll agree she's the ideal guest to uncover the secrets to well-being and its direct connection to your leadership success. Welcome, Senya. Great to have you on What's Possible. Eileen Schaefer, so good to be with you. This is wonderful. I'm glad we're doing this. Me too. I feel like this is a conversation you and I have behind the scenes all the time. We need to bring everybody in on the conversation. As you know, I always feel like there's so many definitions of things and well-being gets thrown around so much. Will you give your definition of well-being so we have kind of a working, a working definition that we can play with from now on? You know, this is great. You gave me a hint that you would ask this earlier today over text. And I thought, well, gosh, what, what is the academic definition? I went and looked at it and I don't agree with it. So I'm going to give you mine. <laughs> and, and then we can look at the academic one. It's what's most important about well-being is that you feel that you have the energy and the resources to do whatever you need to do. So well-being could include, it could include sleep. It could ex- include exercise, nutrition, meditation. It could include having tea with a friend. It could include everything. I would say that my best illustration of well-being is a term in psychology called psychological capital. But I would expand that. Psychological capital, mental capital, physical capital, spiritual capital, whatever it is. So for for us to share on this podcast a working definition of well-being, I would say, what is that reserve? What are those resources that you have and then we get to questions about well-being, like how can we include that, increase that reserve? In what cases does that reserve decrease? So I would like to share that for our working definition. I like that because oftentimes people will think well-being is mental and physical health, and that's all they think of it as. And it really isn't. And I love the reserve because it does, going back to what I was saying, it's like you can feel depleted, but you can also replenish. It gives you a little bit more control over your own well-being. 
It does. It's it does. It's like uh, my brother always jokes that in the nature versus nurture d- debate, the versus is really important. So there's nature. Uh, how are you? How did you come to be? There's uh, there's nurture, which is what happens in your environment. But my brother always says the verses is really important. And that's what you're talking about, Eileen. You're saying like, what is the will? What are you doing? What are the actions you're taking? So Senya, one question I think I have not even asked you. I just, I've always known you being an expert in this space, but I never even asked, how did you land in this space of well-being and leadership? Right, because you and I already know each other from this space. That's yeah. really funny. I, gosh, which, where to start? I guess I'll start in, after uh, Harvard undergrad, I worked at Morgan Stanley. Then I went to business school at Stanford. After Stanford, I worked at a few different startups. I co-founded a few startups. And at one of the startups, there were seven of us full-time employees and about 20, including part-time people. And I was the president and I think treasurer. I was a few different things, but president, what are the top three people? And Top three out of seven, you know, not a big deal. But what I'm saying is I, I was in the, on the leadership team and my good friend sent me a book and the book was Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman. Uh-huh. And I realized how closely that book mimicked and imitated what we were doing at the startup. So sometimes at the startup, I would go so strongly to meet with a client and try to work through a pilot that we'd work on together. And this was a technology startup and it just... Sometimes completely roller, the roller coaster emotions of a startup. Sometimes it just completely floundered and nothing came out of it. And sometimes it was, it was on such a roll and there was momentum and there were different people, even among our core group of seven and how they handled the roller coaster of emotions at a startup. And at the same time, I was reading this book that a good friend of mine gave me, Learned Optimism. And I just realized, oh my gosh, this is true. How we react to bad situations really affects just how we go through life and how we go through our work day and our home day. So that, and then later, years later, I saw a, a Time um, magazine issue on the science of happiness. And soon after, I saw that there was a program called the Master of Applied Positive Psychology. And when I saw, you, of course, you know this program, the math program at UP. Yeah. And when I saw an invitation to apply to that program, I thought, okay, Senya, do you really need to do this? You're not in this field. You've never taken a psychology class ever in your life. And then it just felt so interesting. It was about goals and emotions and how people work better together. And I realized when I'm not working or reading fiction, these are the types of books that I gravitate towards, business books. How do you succeed? How do you become more productive? So I just, I've been interested. I read Napoleon Hill and Dale Carnegie when I was a kid. So I just find that stuff interesting. But I didn't know, but do you do a master's in what you find interesting? Right. It turns out I mean that you do. You do. You go and you do a master's in what you find interesting. So that's how I came to positive psychology. And then when I see Marty Seligman at conferences, I I regularly tell him that he changed my life because I moved from being in the finance world and in the tech world to being in coaching, as you and I know from Silicon Valley Change, which you're the CEO of. So I I moved to coaching and then moved to the chief people officer role. So being internal on the people team. Completely weird, weird, weird for someone who everybody in my family is in finance. And I majored in math undergrad. So everyone's in finance and in math. Nobody's in psychology. So it's just... (laughs) Very interesting, different path. Well, and two fun facts. I was just with you, Senya, as you know, and um, got the privilege of meeting your kids. And one of my favorite comments was your 11-year-old daughter, who when I asked her favorite subject, right out of the gate, she said, 
well, we're a math family and I just loved it. It's, it is, it, it right. goes through yeah. your, through your family and to find somebody right. who really blends that math um, and that side of the brain with the side of the brain of um, the science of well-being, which is what, you know, obviously positive psychology is. And one more fun fact, when I was reading Flourish, you had never told me that you are mentioned throughout the book, not only mentioned, but also considered the poster child of positive psychology by Martin Seligman. So I love that. That's just him being kind. That's just him being very, very kind. (laughs) Well, thinking about where we are in this moment, like I said, there is so much uncertainty. And you and I have both studied uh, transitions and, um, and change for quite some time. And I'm just curious, from your perspective, what are your thoughts on our current environment? It's tricky, right? It's hard out there for so many different reasons. And people call it different things, whether it's um, VUCA or it's this poly crisis. There's just a lot going on. What, how do I feel about this environment? I feel that there are a lot of pressures on people from a lot of different sides and a lot of self-expectations, whether it's your work or what you're doing at home. So it's just a lot, especially when people are still figuring out how do they juggle their own lives? Do they actually want to be more hybrid or within hybrid? Do they want to be more remote or more in person? What works for people? I think life is easier when you've set your own rules or somebody has set them for you. And then within those rules, you succeed. But now it's succeeding and also setting the rules as you go. So that's tricky. Yeah. Well, and it's all new territory. So it's unfamiliar. That's why you're it's a lot, and it's particularly a, a lot on leaders because they often feel like they need to present as as knowing the path forward, even when they're living in the same, you know, unfamiliar, upside down sometimes world. Will you share what VUCA is? Volatile, uncertain. Oh, I'm blanking now. Uh, volatile, uncertain. Uh, the last one, A, is ambiguous. What is C? Complex. 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 I, I couldn't so remember complex either. Level. That's why I put it on you. Okay, the C I always <laughs> forget. That's exactly <laughs> how we should play this. Exactly. <laughs> you see, this is why we make a good team, right? So we can complete each other's thoughts. <laughs> so so let's, let's dive in a little bit and answer those questions I presented at the beginning. How does well-being affect productivity and cognitive capacity? Like, why should people even care? When I first heard Martin Seligman describe positive psychology, I thought, wow, how fascinating. He's actually not speaking about what people are doing well or how people are succeeding or how they're being productive. Marty Seligman starts a discussion of positive psychology, including the talk he gave at my graduation from this master's program at Penn. He starts to talk about positive psychology by saying the age of depression has decreased. Depression used to be, the onset of depression used to be at age 30 something on average. Now it's at age 14 and a half on average. So he starts with a dark, dark worldview in order to bring us in and see like, hey, we actually need to make some strides. I would say the same about well-being. The easiest way to think about well-being is what does the absence of well-being look like? Mm. And we all know that. Eileen, we know this. We know what it feels like when we're extremely unwell-rested, when we haven't gotten enough sleep, when our body feels crickety and crackety and it's hard to move, when, when we feel parched and we haven't even gotten enough water throughout the day and haven't gotten up from our chairs, and when we haven't had a moment to ourselves, whether that's mindfulness or just a moment to get a big picture view of what's going on. So we know what lack of well-being feels like. And I think that contributes to exactly what you're asking about. When we have that 
low well-being or lack of well-being in some areas, then, oh my gosh, how, how can we be super productive? How can we be even productive? How can we be engaged? How can we be driven towards what we want to accomplish at work, at home, in any area of our lives? Yeah, it, it really makes me think about it. We just, we can't access our sharpest brain, you know, when we're, when we are depleted. And I, I remember um, Giselle Timmerman did a, a workshop um, or for, I, she, we brought her in for our HR partners. And I'll never forget when she said something to the effect of, we can burn out even when we love what we're doing. And that really stuck with me because our well-being can take a hit even when we love what we're doing. Um, and I, and I felt that I, as you know, we had the most amazing retreat with our, with 12 of our coaches in New York. I literally got home last night after such a high of being together, getting to work with you in person. I I was walking on clouds for so long. I I got home and I said to my husband, I need to go to sleep. I've hit a wall. (laughs) Even though I've been on a high, I'm so excited about the work we do, what we're putting into the world. I realize if I don't take care of myself and get sleep in this moment, I, it'll take me down a path. I don't want to go, even though I love what I'm doing, if that makes sense. And I thought about you because here I was, I was home. I only had to travel an hour and a half to get to meet you. And then you came right to me and I was exhausted after that week of seeing our colleagues. So for you to include travel and seeing other people on top of that, I just thought, oh my gosh, she must be drained. (laughs) I was, it was this weird combination of drained and so excited beyond, beyond measure and satisfied and satisfied. I, I actually, my dad asked how it was. And I said to him, my my picture is so full right now. I have so much joy in my soul and I'm also very, very tired. <laughs> so, um, and I think what happens, even we often think about well-being taking a hit. We often talk about burnout when we don't love what we're doing and we're in the wrong place, the wrong job. We've been laid off, whatever that looks like, but we forget about that whole large group that does love what they're doing, that is super engaged and excited and giving it their all. However, if we're not constantly replenishing throughout the day, it can knock us on our, you know, on our bottoms. I think you're so right. I uh, and I was just recently chief people officer for a 650 person company. And some days I would have literally something like 12 Zoom meetings back to back, half hour, 45 minutes. And I loved it. And it was the right thing. And these were the meetings I needed to have. And at the same time, it was draining. And so balancing that even for yourself, even when you want, it's a little bit like, you want to do both things. You want the well-being, but you also want the energy and the creativity and the helping people solve their problems. So it's it's tricky. It's tricky for everyone. It is. Yeah. Even as executive coaches who have training in this space, we still try to you know, figure it out. You would think, right? <laughs> I mean, you would think. <laughs> so thinking about, I hopefully we have a case right now for well-being and why that's important for you to have that peak performance. But With this show, I always feel like I don't want to just talk about issues. I want to make sure that people have steps and things that they can think about to be really proactive. So what would you say are some proactive steps that our listener can take to boost well-being and in turn their ability to lead from a position of strength, even in stormy waters? Let me start by telling you a story about my friend who never had an emergency on a Tuesday afternoon. So this is my friend who I went to business school with, and she was a competitive cyclist. And as a competitive cyclist, she trained with a team and she also trained with her coach. 
super, super high performing job in business development and in legal at this startup company. She always had emergencies coming to her desk all the time. This was in person, of course. And then on Tuesdays at 5 p.m., no emergencies, no emergencies starting from 445 because everybody knew that she had a one on one meeting with her trainer, with her coach for competitive cycling at 5 p.m. on Tuesdays. So there's a thing that she set out that everybody knew about and nobody minded. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, she's not available. Nobody minded. Everybody knew Tuesday is a non-emergency afternoon. That's a boundary that she set because it was critical for her. So what I would say is we all have a lot of different boundaries and some of our boundaries can get gray and some of our boundaries we can't let get gray. We just we have to stop them before they get into that zone. That's sort of OK with us. And everyone knows what they are for themselves. Like I'll, I'll ask you in a moment, Eileen. So I'll start with mine. I have a boundary of uh, sleep. But even that I let get gray sometimes and just how much sleep I need and when I need to go to bed. I have a boundary of, I actually love to brush my teeth. I'm like one of the weirdest people in the world. I love to brush my teeth. So if, if there's anything that stops me from brushing my teeth, I will literally stop that thing in the morning and go, it's just something I love to do. We, I know it's weird. I've actually talked to people about it. No, I'm laughing, so, I'm laughing because I love going to the dentist. And so it's it's a quirky thing. So we both have something to go with teeth. But anyway, I never knew that. Yeah, you. Love, I never knew yeah. that. That's really funny. <laughs> That's really funny. Me too. That's really funny. <laughs> so look, what's, what's an example of one of your, just a, your, your Tuesday afternoon kind of boundary? What's one of yours? Yeah, I would say it's, and I think of, I love the word boundaries and I think of it as non-negotiables too. It is getting exercise in every single day. It's, that is, it has to happen. And typically I try to do it first thing in the morning as best as I can, not book, book clients um, or meetings before say eight, nine o'clock in the morning. So I can make sure to get the workout in. I'd rather go later on the other end. So, but get that workout in so that my brain's operating at its peak capacity. And so I would say to your question about how do people, if we know that well-being is important and we want to get that foundation of well-being in order to be productive, it's so tempting because it's tempting for me to say, oh, I'm going to do A, B, C, D, and Z. I'm going to do it all because these are the things that I know are going to help me be more productive. But we've got to start with the James Clear Atomic Habits way. We've got to start with the tiniest, incremental, infinitesimal thingy that doesn't even seem like it's a thingy. That, that's what we have to start with, which is, okay, maybe you go to bed a half hour earlier. Maybe you set the phone outside of your bedroom. Sleep of your, is your thing. But it's just that little, little thing. And then eventually maybe we can build up more. And I say this because, Eileen, you and I know this. We work with high-performing, high-achieving execs. And these execs, if they want to make a change, they want to make a change. I mean, they want to make a change. And what I say is, I do too. I want to make a change, but I want to make a change that's going to last. So if I want that foundation of well-being to just to swell and really support me, I want this tiniest, tiniest little change that won't even feel like a change. And then other things are just better, easier flowing down the road. Yeah. So two things I'm hearing from you right out of the gate is, really start small, teensy, tiny, build from there. And then the other thing is that boundaries. So once you know what that teensy, tiny thing is, protect it, protect it with all your might so that you can really make sure that you are able to, to grow that. So whether it is exercise, whether it is your sleep, not giving into that, having those non-negotiables. Yes. And, and I say that's what, and what will lead you to your productivity and your being able to take those 12 back-to-back Zoom meetings if that's what you need to do for work and want to do for work. And one thing that it makes me think about really as just a question our listeners might want to ask is, 
what contributes to your well-being? I think we all, different things contribute. It's really personal. What contributes? We know when we're at our peak. So when were you last at your peak? What was happening in that moment? Totally agree with you, Eileen. And what is the original contributor? Because it could be a combination of things. It's a day when you got enough rest, you're great, well hydrated, but what's the original contributor? So for me, it's the night before. For other people, it might be that exercise in the morning like you. So what is that, the, the core of all the others? Yeah, the catalyst that will move it, move it all yeah. forward. Yeah, I like that a lot. Absolutely. One thing that you said when you and I were walking together that really kind of struck me is we talked a lot about whose responsibility is this? Is it an organization's responsibility to protect people's wellness, to create opportunities for well-being? Is it the leader's responsibility? Um, And I'm curious if you want to share a little bit on your thoughts about that. I'd love to. I'll start with a story. There was a, a company that I was coaching at and the company was moving into performance reviews. And the person that I was coaching was going to need to evaluate the members of their team and also need to be evaluated by their manager. Very normal performance reviews. And what I learned at the time from that company is there's a mantra, there's an understanding that you are responsible for your own career progression. So if you want to have an extra career development conversation with your manager, you're responsible to set that up, to put that on the calendar, to have the questions. If you want to explore the idea of a promotion, you're responsible for doing that. Now, I'll give a caveat to what I'm saying. Sometimes it's really hard to do things on your own. Sometimes you need to have sponsors and champions and so on at companies, especially bigger companies. But I will say nothing will get done if you're not proactive and motivated about your own things. So I use that as an example to say who's responsible for your well-being. Yes, certainly. It's not a great environment if your manager texts you at 11 p.m. and wants you to reply at 11 p.m. In fact, you should actually seriously consider that that is not a great environment for you and for your family. And at the same time, can you draw a line on that? Can you say, hey, you know, really happy to hop on at 7 a.m., but after 8 p.m., that's my... Can you make those kinds of boundaries? And if you can't, what do you need to investigate? So back to your question, Eileen. It's, it's hard to say the responsibility is only with the person at their work, whether they're working alone, like let's say they're an entrepreneur all by themselves, or they work in a medium company or in a big company. It is that person's responsibility to start the process and even to prioritize. What is it for them? Is it that they want to focus on this kind of thing at work? And that's a priority. Is it a priority for what they've done as their reserve to come into work? Or is it that they need to have more conversations with other people at work to figure out what they want to do. So I feel that if there is a taking off on the, of the responsibility on the person who is actually caring about their own well-being, it's not quite accurate to say, Oh, my my manager should, should set the right environment for me to get enough sleep. And I don't know what you getting enough sleep is like, I don't know what you getting enough drinking water is like for you. So I think I'm saying a lot, but all of this to say a lot of, People, and I'd say even systems, are incredibly responsible at work. Systems are really responsible for how dynamics happen. At the same time, if you don't take a stand, even if it's a small stand sometimes, your things can drop through the cracks that may be important to you but may not be as important to your colleagues. Does that make sense, just that distinction? Most definitely. And also, um, one thing to underscore, too, is your behavior can create a ripple effect, a domino effect. So if we each take care of ourself and really get clear on what's important 
for my own well-being and then start to have boundaries and really show up protecting your own well-being, people start to see that in you and start to duplicate that in in themselves. And going back to your uh, what you said, then the whole system changes and becomes a, a healthy system. And I think, Eileen, it's hard to see what you're saying until it actually happens or it happens with you or it happens with a friend. I mean, even a really silly example, I cleaned off my desk the other week, the week that you were coming, and my daughter cleaned out her room this week. It could be completely not related, but it might be this sort of spring cleaning wants to know no, no emphasis for me. She's amazing at doing it herself, but I'm just saying there are little, little nudges that we all do for each other and for ourselves. Yeah. Monkey see, monkey do, you know, <laughs> as um, a tradition on our podcast, we always like our guests to um, make sure that we leave with some key takeaways. So there are three key takeaways that I'm going to ask you to um, share with us. So one is going to be a, what's the big takeaway kind of a thought takeaway from today. The next one will be the one big mindset shift people can make. And the last one is one action that they can take, that low-hanging fruit that is going to give them a huge boost. So let's circle back and do the big thought takeaway. I think a big thought takeaway is between your and my conversation on this topic, Eileen, the idea that well-being is your own reserve and it's individual to you. So you need to first figure out or figure out through asking questions or asking questions of yourself, but figure out what it is and then start to take a stand. But first it's that figuring out what is that individual well-being for you. I like that. Absolutely. We need personalized plans. There's no one size fits all on that. Yeah, absolutely. What's a mindset shift that people can have? Maybe it's what you and I talked about. So for example, my big thing is sleep and your big thing is exercise, especially in the mornings. You and I work closely with each other. Maybe knowing that about somebody else would be a mindset shift that you could have so that you can be more supportive and others can be more supportive of you. Yeah, I like that. Sharing, sharing what our, what our well-being thing is. It also helps with accountability. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A double whammy. <laughs> I, I laugh because you know that you're known in our circles as the queen of accountability. We had the phone call and you say, okay, in two weeks, Let's what are we going to be accountable for? Who's doing what? <laughs> um, and, um, and then the other thing is, and normally I just leave these um, mindset shifts with our guests sharing them. But one shift that I would um, kind of present to people also is, I think we often can think of well-being as that fluffy, oh, isn't that sweet to worry about our well-being? Hopefully, when you after listening to this show, that mindset shift is this is essential. This is not some fluffy thing that I should be doing. Oh, isn't that sweet that some people really focus on taking care of themselves? No, if you really want to reach your peak performance, you want to start with your own well being. And the final, the low hanging fruit what is one action that people can do to plug and play? Since people are listening to us on a podcast, I'm going to assume that people like to listen to podcasts. So there's one specific podcast I'm going to recommend right now related to what we've been talking about, about well-being, that specific episode. The guest name is Matthew Walker. He is a professor of sleep at Berkeley. I think his the official title is something else, but he studies sleep. He, he's a professor. And I would recommend listening to it. It's a long one. It's a two-hour podcast of him on a podcast called Diary of a CEO. It's very recent. It, it just came out. But Matthew Walker, great, great, important things to know about sleep that, that influenced me. So I thought it was great. 
Excellent. Wonderful. So Matthew Walker, I am going to take note of that. I do have to say sleep is critical for me too. I only, I wanted to do something different than you, but yes, I, my, if I'm not sleeping, I am, (laughs) I am a mess the next day. So I, I know that that is important. Great. So now where can people find you? We know where people can find Matthew Walker. Where can people find Senya Maiman? That's great. That's great. I'm often on LinkedIn. So people can find me on LinkedIn, can follow, can click that little bell. And I would say, as you know, Eileen, I'm working a lot with the job search right now. So if people are in their job search process, whether they just want to hear some hints or if they're a CEO, of course, who would like to work with a coach one-on-one, I take on very few clients, but I work on job search. So you can find me on LinkedIn or on the job search website, which is jobsearch2023.com. Excellent. Senya, I love being with you. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much, Eileen. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show meaningful, please hit that follow or subscribe button. It helps more people find what's possible organically. If you have questions about anything at all that we've talked about, drop me a line at podcast at sdchange.com. I will definitely read your email and whether it's an episode idea, which I would love, a guest recommendation, I'd also love that, or just a simple note about how the show has impacted you, I would love to hear from you. I'm Eileen Schaefer. I'll see you on the next episode.